0: Good day, isn't it? Good songs today. I, I think you've picked up on the theme, right? Holy Spirit, kind of uh, kind of familiar throughout this day. This is uh, this is uh, the day of Pentecost, and so I'm going to pull an Andrew. Okay, you got to say it with me. Pentecost, ready? Pentecost. Uh, it's fascinating to me that you guys do that. Like, is there a limit to what you won't say if? <laughs> Like, on the count of three, Cindy is awesome. One, two, three, Cindy is awesome. I don't know. Anything else you want said? It's kind of cool. It really is good. So it's Pentecost Sunday. Uh, This is a huge day in the life of the church. Uh, Some would say this is the birthday of the church, and you don't look too bad for 2,000 years old. You look pretty good today. Uh, Even though it's a major milestone moment in church history, it kind of seems like the middle child of the major church events, right? Uh, you've, got, uh, you've got Christmas, and you've got Easter, and then you have Pentecost. It's like the forgotten one. Any middle children in the room? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like Christmas you have, you've got the trees, the, the snow, the songs. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. The presents. Uh, who doesn't love Easter? The resurrection, uh, new life, hunting for Easter eggs. Just like Jesus did. (laughs) I've never made that connection. I don't see the connection between Jesus and the resurrection and hunting for Easter eggs. But, uh, I mean, rabbits don't even lay eggs, right, Cindy? They don't. Thank you. Uh, Here's what research will do to you, though. Uh, As I'm uh, looking at some of these uh, topics, I came across this fun fact. Did you know that the largest chocolate Easter egg ever was 35 feet tall, And weighed over 15,000 pounds. Yeah. If you're amazed by that, we're going to have a good day. (laughs) That's good. How bad do you have to be at Easter egg hunting to not find that egg, you know? So back to Pentecost. Pentecost, significant event. Uh, It had huge implications when it happened, and it has huge implications for us today. We're going to spend some time in Acts chapter 2, reflect on those that had gathered, what they had experienced, and two very, very important questions that they asked. So as we get started, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, for your spirit. This is a day that we gather to remember the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in a mighty way, change the trajectory of where the church would go. It was a gift that you promised to give to us, and you were faithful to that promise. From that day, the church has exploded. And so today, we want, we want that. We want, a, we want a sense of your spirit and of your presence in this place today. And so through this sermon, through this time together, we pray that you'd focus our hearts and our minds It's through your Holy Spirit that that's able to happen. So may we sense your Spirit in this place. May we sense your Spirit in our hearts. May you move in our lives. Help us to have ears to hear today, because we believe that there are things that you want to say to us. It's in your name we pray, amen. So our reading begins in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. And it says this When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, When God wants to get your attention, He doesn't mess around, right? Uh, he's pretty good with the light displays. Uh, think back once again to the birth of Christ. Angels filling the sky. He puts a big old star up in the sky for the magi to follow. Uh, when, uh, when Easter rolls around, the resurrection. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, darkness came over the whole earth. The sun stopped shining. There were earthquakes, rocks split, tombs opened. Holy people were risen to life and walked into the holy city. Impressive. Impressive. Like, well done. That's good stuff. And so uh, now we're at Pentecost. Everyone together in a room. It gets really loud, windy, tongues of fire. Everybody's speaking different languages. God knows how to captivate an audience. I personally am a sucker for a good fireworks show. Am I alone in that? No. You guys like fireworks. Don't act like you don't. So uh, let me take you back to uh, 2009. And this was General Assembly... And uh, it was in Orlando, and uh, my wife and I were staying at a hotel right by SeaWorld. And uh, we had a one-year-old daughter at the time, Ellie, and she, we had just put her to bed. She's hanging out in the crib. And uh, we lay down, and it's probably about 10 o'clock at night, and then all of a sudden in the distance, we start to hear this, poo, poo. Like, what is that? Is that the neighbors? Is that, what, what are they doing? We, they're going to wake Ellie up. I don't think that's it. And, and we hear more, and then it hits me what this is. It's the fireworks show from SeaWorld. And so I immediately scream, SeaWorld. I jump out of bed. I run to the door. I put my hand on the door handle, and Ann yells, Scott! And I said, what? And she said, pants! That's why I married her. Reminders. We went out. We went. Out. I put pants on. We went out and we watched the fireworks show together. God knows that pyrotechnics win the day. He moves in power like only He can. And it's pretty exciting stuff. Imagine you're gathered in a room and all of a sudden a violent wind blows. Tongues of fire. Everybody speaking in other languages. And it and it wasn't gradually. It doesn't say this happened over a season. It didn't say they started to see a storm cloud coming in. They were going about life, and then God showed up. We always have to be ready for God to show up. Because when he did, they were ready in this case. It kind of sounds like chaos, things blowing around, fire, uh, people speaking. It may have been, it probably was shocking, maybe it was unexpected, but it was still edifying. Edifying. People understood what was being said. That's really important. In Acts 2.5, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. One of the things I like to do when I'm preparing a sermon is I like to just read the text, and I see what questions I have from that. What are the things that maybe I don't know? And then what are the things that I think people would want to know about? Uh, See, we read familiar passages of Scripture so many times that if we're not careful, we skim right over the things that God wants to reveal to us. And this is one of those passages We read this a lot. So here's some of the questions I noticed uh, as I was reading through these first 13 verses. Uh, What is Pentecost? We talk about it. It's a big word. Uh, And by the way, I'm not going to tell you which questions I didn't know and which ones I thought would be helpful for you. Uh, What is Pentecost? Uh, Why were these people there? Why were they even gathered in this room and why were other languages necessary? Aren't these all Jewish people that have gathered together? So let's start with Pentecost. Uh, The word Pentecost, what does it mean? Uh, It simply means 50. What we're celebrating today is the day of Pentecost, which is a celebration of the gift of the Holy Spirit that happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So Easter, aside from being Magic Bunny Day, as we talked about, is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, and 50 days after that, each year, we celebrate the gift of Of the Holy Spirit. So, if this was a Christian thing, why were all these other people gathered there? It's important to note that the Jewish people were also celebrating. Uh, They have three major feasts or festivals that all men that were able were required to attend and appear before the Lord as they're laid out in Deuteronomy 16. One of those festivals is the festival of unleavened bread, uh, Passover. And so, uh, this happens for seven days. After Passover, it's usually celebrated in March or April. And during this festival, they're not allowed to eat any bread that has yeast in it. And it's to remind them of the unleavened bread uh, that they ate as they quickly left Egypt. Another is the Festival of Tabernacles. That happens in the fall, somewhere around September or October. And this was a celebration of the produce of the harvest for that year. Sandwiched in between those two festivals is the Festival of Weeks. This festival occurs 50 days after Passover. It notated the day that the harvesting of wheat could begin. And it was also seen as the day when Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai. So in Acts chapter 2, we find ourselves in the middle of the festival of weeks. The reason we have so many different languages and people groups here is the result of the fall of Israel. In the 8th century BC, the Assyrians conquered Israel. And when they conquered a people, it was their practice to scatter the people. And so they sent people to live in different places, and then other people groups moved into Israel. And then in the 6th century BC, uh, the Babylonians conquered Judah. And they sent most of the people to Babylon, and there were some that were able to flee to Egypt. So I've got a map up here that I want you to take a look at. This shows where all of these people We're coming from and so you've got rome over there kind of on the north side that would be modern day turkey on the east side is where you'd find iraq iran uh, on the southeast side there uh, saudi arabia and then egypt that's where all of these people have been coming from to be a part of this day and so it it lists all of these starting in verse 9 parthians medes and elamites residents of mesopotamia judea and cappadocia pontus in asia phrygia and pamphylia Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs. All with Jewish roots, but as you can see, from many, many different places. So all these people groups have gathered for the festival of weeks. But what God is doing in their midst draws their attention. They started hearing things. They started hearing noises. They started hearing words. In their own language. In verse 12, the first great question gets asked. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? God chooses to unleash the Holy Spirit, and they're confused. Several parallels exist here signifying the importance of God using this moment to impart the Holy Spirit. On Mount Sinai, God governed the flesh. Now God governed the heart. On Mount Sinai, God gave the law, and now God gave his spirit. The former was legal. The latter was spiritual. Summed up, the Jews had come together to celebrate the law given to Moses, a law written on stones. But in their midst, God was now writing his law on their hearts. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Who doesn't love a good critic, right? Uh, Belief and skepticism are present. Uh, It's human nature. We see it in our world uh, today. It's a heart issue, though. Think about this. Uh, Items react differently when they're placed in sunlight. Uh, If you put an ice cube out on a hot day on a sidewalk, what's going to happen? It's going to melt, right? Conversely, if you take a a piece of moist clay and set that out in hot sunlight, what's it going to do? It's going to dry up and it's going to harden. When we find ourselves exposed to the light of God, the human heart reacts in a very similar way. Does your heart melt for God, or does it harden when his light shines in the dark places of your life? Will you say yes to what God wants to do in your life, or will you reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit? That's what we have going on here. Some are receptive to the message, And some say they're drunk. So verse 14, Peter stands up to address the crowd. He clarifies that they are not drunk with the reasoning, it's only nine in the morning. I don't know if that would hold true today, uh, if that's something we could use as a disclaimer, but uh, he answers their question of what this means by using scripture that they're all familiar with. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of the prophecy made by Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He recaps the life of Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection, reminding them that they were the ones that put him to death, get a little dig in there to them. He shares words from David and then he says this in verse 29, "Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day." But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In a passionate plea, Peter proclaims the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This was the same guy that not too long ago denied Christ, but something's changed. Peter's encountered the resurrected Christ, and he's now filled with the Holy Spirit. When this happens, everything changes. People respond to this compelling message with a second question. What shall we do? First, they were amazed and perplexed, and that led to questions. But after hearing this truth, the scripture says they were cut to the heart. And now they desire action. So what does Peter say? The response is so simple. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted, which tells me that some didn't, totaled about 3,000 that day. It's a powerful moment in the history of the church. Many times we look at this and we say, uh, why doesn't that happen still today? And we give our reasons. Uh, We've lost the fire. We've lost our first love. People just don't care like they used to. If only we had a spirit-filled day like this. The problem is, for so many, we seek after a Pentecost moment, and that's the end of it. We seek after the filling of the Holy Spirit one time, and once we have it, we're good. It's the third doctrine of the Church of the Nazarene, saved, sanctified, petrified, right? live that way. We seek after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But once I have it, I'm good. I don't need it anymore. So so for our visual aid people, uh, how many people have not been able to focus on anything I've said today because this is sitting here? You're like, what is this guy gonna do? (laughs) Yeah, we got one. That's all right. That's all right. I like the honesty. Uh, I am not uh, typically an illustration guy. But I think this is a powerful thing for us to remember. Uh, See, we believe that when a person asks for forgiveness, when people ask for for their forgiveness of sins and they commit their life to God, that God grants that forgiveness and we're made new, right? We're an empty vessel. And God initially fills us with his Holy Spirit. We start out clean. We start out pure. We look just like this. But the problem is, we're not too far removed from our previous life. We're not too far removed from the baggage. And so if this is the only thing we seek, is that one-time filling, there are going to be other things that want to creep back in to the way we do life. So think about this. Uh, Some people deal... Uh, with uh, with bitterness, got some lemon juice here. Uh, some people are uh, are kind of angry, like hot sauce. <laughs> some of you are really angry. <laughs> Maybe you're. Uh, Maybe you're green with envy, jealousy. That's a battle that you fight. Maybe you look really, really good on the outside. In fact, you look just like water. You look just like you're supposed to look, but you stink like vinegar. I'm going to put this down for a second. We're going to let this represent our addictions. Before you yell at me, our manual says that we are not supposed to use alcoholic beverages as intoxicating, or intoxicating uh, items as beverages. It never says sermon illustrations, (laughs) so those are our addictions. By the way, it's also cream soda. I'm brave, but not that brave. <laughs> and then, um, and then there's the dark stuff, the stuff that we hope nobody ever finds out about. That's the adultery, the pornography, the stuff we hide in the closet. And so, when we seek after that one-time filling of the Holy Spirit, and we don't seek anything else, we can look like this, ready to go win the world for Jesus, right? And see, what happens here is uh, when these things creep back in, we start to feel defeated. We start to feel like we've done something wrong because we've stopped. We have to keep going back for more because this isn't what we signed up for. So because this isn't where God calls us to live, he asks us to come back to him. He doesn't want to, feed a, uh, to fill us one time. He wants to pour into our life streams of living water. It's not enough to be filled one time. We have to continually go back to the well. We have to go back to him every time. We have to seek after him. We have to plead with him. We have to ask for his Holy Spirit to continually fill us, to continually make us more and more like him. And when we do this, God starts to pour out his Spirit on us. He starts to do battle with our bitterness, with our anger, with our frustration, with our sin, with the things that we hide, with the things that we don't want other people to know about. And notice what happens. As as this happens, we also see an overflow, don't we? Which means the way we start to look starts to splash out on the people around us. And he does this, and he does this. And he does this until we're made pure, like him. And there are going to be times in our lives where uh, the battle's still going to be raging. See, we have to make that commitment. There goes the hot sauce. (laughs) Pick that up so Sean doesn't have to clean it up later. (laughs) Got your back, yo. Uh, We have this moment where we decide we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's a constant growth in grace. And so if we don't go back to the well, we're going to battle. We're going to fight for our entire lives. I, was, um, I received a text early this week from uh, Pastor Simone. She knew that I was going to be preaching on the Holy Spirit, and she shared with me something that, uh, that she had been reading about. This people could have people could have had an experience they call the baptism in the Holy Spirit years ago. It could now either be cold, lukewarm, backslidden, maybe passionately in love with God. Focus on the relationship. In doing so, people cannot hide behind an experience of the past. It's not enough to have had a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We must continue to be filled. With the Holy Spirit. Continuing this filling keeps us concerned about the salvation of others, which includes healing and deliverance. For with the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes a new revelation of the ache in God's heart for the saving of his children. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it brings us back to the two questions that the people ask and how that affects us here today. So, what does this mean? The Holy Spirit filling our lives provides us with an inward grace that we need so that we can live out Christ's likeness. So what will you do about it? Sometimes we just want something to happen. Uh, It's going to take effort. These men had to work hard. They were seeking. Regarding holy living, living, D.A. Carson said it this way, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Does that resonate with you in some places? Have you lived in some of those places? Are you still living in some of those places? Nobody stumbles into holiness. So do you have areas of your life that the Holy Spirit's exposed to you? Maybe you thought that your sin was secret, but you realize now that nothing is secret before God. You've been abusing God's grace, thinking that if you mess up that God will understand. Kind of a, I'm a work in progress mentality. Maybe you didn't realize that something in your life was sinful. Attitudes, treating others in a way that God wouldn't want us to in relationships. Any disobedience to God is sin. Rebellion against God is sin. Today, God wants to offer you the opportunity to be free to that. You have to get to the root. The first step, if you haven't, is repentance. Repentance. A turning away from sin. A washing of the hands. A conscious decision to stop living in rebellion and trading in your life for the life that God has for you. The second step is pursuing holiness and sanctification. Heart purity. Perfect desire. It's about focusing on a passionate pursuit of Christ. When he is all that matters everything else falls into place. Temptation becomes easier to handle because we can look at something and say, that thing, that's not better than what God has for me. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Will you take just a moment to ask God to search you out? To reveal any offensive way in you? If there's sin in your life, ask for forgiveness. Don't stop there. Move to a passionate pursuit of God. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life, to cleanse you, and then remember this moment and then continually go back to him for refreshing waters of life as you grow in grace each and every day. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the work that it does in our lives. It's through your Holy Spirit that we receive conviction. We sang today that the Comforter has come. You are the one that comforts us. You reveal the things to us that are going to make us more like you. I can't think of anything more comforting than to know we have the opportunity because you love us. You would send someone to us that would help us to be more like you. Father, you know the hearts of every person in this place. Some are living in that, that place of battle. It's just a struggle to deal with some of the major, what we would consider the major sin issues, the external things. May you free us from the things that bind us. For some, it, it's, it's not so much about the external, it's about the internal. There's a battle raging inside of us because of our attitudes, the way we treat others, the thoughts that we have. And the way we represent you looks nothing like you. Cleanse us. and After you've done that work, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our lives. That we would be made clean again. And as these other things come back to us, because Satan is going to want us to go back to the places in our life and say, You can't be that person that God's calling you to be because of this thing that you did in your past. Help us to remember that you put that to death. That's not a part of who we are anymore. You've made us a new creation. And so may we constantly run to you for rivers of life. May you constantly overwhelm us and overflow our hearts with your Holy Spirit. It's then that we will find you. It's then that we can serve you best. We can't do it alone. There's nothing we can do to empty ourselves. It's only through you. My heart's prayer today is that that would be so in my life and that every person here would jump in on that too. We can sit here and complain that the Holy Spirit doesn't move anymore. What are we willing to do about it? Are we willing to give you free reign in our lives? Are we willing to let you clean out all the places that you want to clean out so that we are holy and fully surrendered to you? That's when we're going to see a movement of the Holy Spirit. It starts with us saying, I'm available. To your will, to your way.